Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I am Shabal Raish, your host, and very excited to be speaking to a very good friend, uh, my spiritual director. He is <laughs> none other than Father John Flader, the author of a late, the latest book, uh, The Final Exam, which I hold. And we're going to talk about this today. Uh, he's no stranger to Perusia and he's written various books and numerous books. We're going to talk a bit about that, but mainly about this book today. Uh, hello, Father Flutter. How are you? Good morning to Charbel. Thanks for having me again. It's great to have you, as <laughs> always. Um, yeah, congratulations again on another another launch. Uh, we felt like it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about uh, your previous book, Dying to Live, and uh, that was such a, a popular book. And uh, soon after, you had the inspiration to write uh, the final exam. So what can we, can we dive into sort of why... What, what inspired you to write this, this book? <laughs> <laughs> it's a story. These two books shouldn't have been. <laughs> Only for two different people who suggested that I write a book. In fact, the first one wasn't even that I would write it, but rather that somebody would write a book. I was giving a retreat in Kenters, which is our conference center outside of Sydney. Yes. And this man, he said, I'm 79. Wouldn't it be good? I think the way he put it was, if there were a book, on life after death for people who don't believe in it or who wonder about it. And I immediately took to that because I've written quite a bit in my columns in the Catholic yes. Weekly on life after death. There's quite a bit of material I could use. But um, the thought of a book like that for people who don't believe in it, which would be mainly apologetic, really appealed to me. And I took it with great relish. And then I set myself, I don't think I set a target for that one. But by the end of that year, it was 2021, the book was finished writing. Then you have to do a final edit, get some t uh, testimonials or endorsements of it, and then get it to the publisher. So it came out early last year. Okay. Now, that book owes its existence to that man. Without mm -hmm. that suggestion, I would never have written it. I wouldn't have thought of it. And I thought it was a great idea, and it sold very well amongst the... Um, the nice uh, stories that resulted from it. Many people that were um, writing into me and thanking me for it. And they had read it in one day or they read it in whatever short period of time and bought copies for their friends. But one of them is um, a Muslim lady that works for a friend of yours and of mine. Yeah. Who, uh, she's from Indonesia. She's in her 40s. And she went to a Catholic school for a while, so she had some introduction to the Catholic faith. But she took to that book with great relish and then was asking her boss, who was the one that gave it to her, can I go to Mass with you? So he goes to Mass every Friday, he goes every day in the nearby parish. So when he's working, he goes to Mass at lunchtime. She started going with him on Fridays, then read the book, underlined things, asked a lot of questions, finished that book, and then and then he asked me, what do I give her now? And then she's read since Journey into Truth, Instructions in the Catholic Faith. And she's finished that. And she's going to Mass, really loves it. Wow. The Miraculous Medal, she loves that. She's given some, I think, to her mother, Muslim from Indonesia. Well, we don't know where that will all end, but she is very close to the Catholic Faith now. Chances are, at some point, she'll become a Catholic. But that's a nice fruit from that book, Dying to Live. Okay, so that book was out. That's and amazing, then, by the way. I mean, praise God. Yeah, uh, what it's, a beautiful it's, it's, it's the work of God. I mean, Absolutely. it's all the work of God. <laughs> we just have to respond to his will. Yes. Okay, so a friend in Brisbane bought Dying to Live. I've known it for many, many years. And he read it with great uh, enjoyment. And he said, Father, 
this was uh, on an email, but I can interpret the tone of his voice. Father, please write another book in this same style. And this style is very different from all my other books, which are formal English explaining some truths. This one is a conversation with the reader in mm. a very informal conversational style, often incomplete sentences, which is what you do in that sort of style. And the first book was short and short chapters, which makes it easy to read too. And then in the same style, I'd, I was not going to write this book. So I thanked him for the email and had no thought whatsoever of writing another <laughs> book. And what I put in the introduction is, and it's a reality, I don't have time to write books. I mean, I end up writing books, but I write the, the Catholic Weekly column once a, yes. once a week, and then that can generate 150 columns for a new book, which is about to come out too, wow. question time <laughs> six, with 100, it says, up, takes us up to 900 questions and answers on wow. the faith. So I don't have time to write books. I wasn't gonna write another book. But about a month later, I was praying in our chapel, doing my prayer, and talking with our Lord about this possibility. And then the, the thought process went like this. Well, if there's another topic, perhaps related to life after death, for which I have written a substantial amount, it might be worth thinking about. And that immediately led to the thought, the final chapter of Dying to Live is entitled, What Must I Do? So the reader has at least got to the final chapter, is still with us. And remember, these books are written for non-Catholics, mm, for mm. people who don't believe in life after death. And the reader is still with us, and he's now asking, what must I do to get to heaven? I know there is a heaven, I know there's a God, I want to get to heaven, what must I do? So there's a number of practical suggestions, including be sorry for his sins, and as someone suggested when I was talking about the book in that final chapter, perhaps you should indicate a number of sins the person might have committed, so I did. So there's just a few sins mentioned in that final chapter, and be, be sure you're sorry for them. So. With that idea, then that quickly developed into, I have written a whole book on preparing for the judgment, what must I do to lead a good life and get to heaven? And that is, of course, Journey into Truth, Instructions mm. in the Catholic Faith. So um, that book came out in 2014 with the DVDs. And they did, I think it sold very well here, and it's certainly sold in the US because St. Joseph's Communications, which is now in the same group, it's one company with, um, what's, what's Augusta your? Augusta Institute, uh, yeah. No, the other Five one Stones. is. Um, Cedar House and Five Stones. Uh, Five together. Stones, which was before. Uh, they, they distributed Lighthouse Catholic Media. Lighthouse and, Catholic yeah. Media. So it's one firm. So they yes. took on the distribution of Journey into Truth in the U.S. The DVDs, they didn't sell the book. The book, they could, the customer could get it from, from other sources. But lots of royalties came in, so it must have sold well. So I had all that material on how to live a good life in order to deserve heaven. And so with that, I could had to shorten it, rewrite it, add other material. 
but I had most of the material for the book. So then I thought, yes, I can do this. Okay, so on Friday, the 1st of July, I can still remember, if you <laughs> check your diary, I think you'll find that the 1st of July, 2022 was a Friday. And I had some time that day. And I started to write it on the first day of the last six months of the year. And I said to myself, this book is finished by the 31st of December. And then that would be a bit of a challenge. But what I had to do was to use all the available time to start writing that book. Now, there's not much available time, but there are hours here mm, and there. Yes. So that was the challenge. But I was assisted by a number of health issues which took me out of especially some sport that I was doing, playing tennis and playing golf. And I then could use that time to write the book. So that's what I did. I used any spare time, including time that came up through health issues, to write the book. And I was giving a retreat to the Carmelite nuns in Launceston in September... October. It was in October because it's around the Feast of the Two Carmelite Great Saints. That's when they have their retreat. And I knew there would be quite a bit of time on that retreat because they wanted only two meditations a day, although they had quite a bit of time for confession and spiritual direction. So when I went on that retreat, I was practically finished with the book, and I said to myself, I'm going to finish writing the first draft of this book on that retreat, which I did. So setting myself the target of six months to write it, I finished it in four. <laughs> now, then you have to go back over it and, and revise the, the text and make it more coherent and reading better. So, but I finished that book in four months, then the editing, and by the early months of this year, 2023, the book was out. Yes. So I surprised myself, and, and it's, it's the same style, quite a different style from the material that I was starting from. But anyway, the book is out. I hope it's selling well. I think it probably is. We've had launches in Brisbane and in Sydney and here yes, in Perusia. That's right. And God willing, it will do a lot of good to help people live a good moral life. Now, the idea of this one, like the previous one, is this is for non-Catholics. So... One of the questions I address in the first main chapter of the book, after the introduction, was, well, how is God going to judge me? Mm. I think I'm a pretty good person. You, just, you put the thought process in the mind of a non-Catholic. How is God going to judge me? I think I'm a pretty good person. But does he have some standard that I don't know about that by which he's going to judge me? If so... What is it? I would like to know. Because it may not be how I see myself. It might be how he sees me. Yes. If so, what is that standard? And then that led into the, the first chapter, which is the objective character morality, the natural law, which applies to everybody, because everybody has human nature. So the whole book is based on human nature, on the natural Fantastic. law, whereas... The journey into truth is based on the natural law, too, but also on the Bible, mm. on the magisterium of the church. But I had to avoid the Bible quite a bit and the magisterium of the church in writing this one. So it was a different challenge to write a whole book on moral life 
without referring to the Bible and, and to Christ and to the Catholic Church. And, but in the end, it, it worked very well. And in fact, as I was writing it, I was thinking, am I going to address not only the morality and the fifth commandment of killing an innocent person? Should I address abortion? Should I address euthanasia? The sixth commandment on marriage and, and sexuality. Can I address contraception in this chapter? And then no sooner had the question occurred, should I do this, then the answer was, I have to. <laughs> this is a book, it's going to help a lot of Catholics and other Christians too, but it's mainly for other people. But you, you've got to address those issues. Yeah. This is fundamental, and it's all natural law. Mm. And if you take Humanae Vitae, Paul VI, he bases that encyclical numerous times mentioning the natural law. So contraception is natural law. And so it was a challenge, but finally it was finished. And I hope it's going to do a lot of good. So there's the book. And uh, we can Fantastic. talk more about whatever questions you might Abs have. <laughs> Thank you very much for the background. <laughs> so just, uh, I mean, I have to point out, 1st of July, that was the, uh, that's my wife's uh, and I's wedding anniversary. So it's oh, a very special day. So I remember, <laughs> uh, yeah, catching up with you when you, when you sh shared the idea of writing this book and, and seeing how quick it happened. Yeah, yeah. four months. It's just amazing. Um, for those, uh, again, it, it says uh, Dying to Live, sequel to Dying to Live. So... The final exam is a sequel to Dying to Live. So I've already shown you, this is what we're talking about today. I'm going to dive into it. But this is where it's a sequel to this book. So we have Dying to Live. And I want to encourage uh, those who have not seen a previous podcast I've had with Father Flutter. We, we spend an hour talking about this book. Uh, and so please uh, go into the archives of the Perusia podcast and look out for that. We talk about this. It's a fantastic book. And I encourage, if you haven't got this yet, get this as well, uh, because they're a great companion together. Um, so that's Dying to Live. But let's dive into the final exam. And hmm. I have to start with the obvious. I mean, the opening in the introduction really grabbed my attention. And, you know, I, I love how when you started, you, you pretty much said, you know, we all face exams in life. And, you know, and, and some we pass, some we fail. And the ones we fail, you know, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we can move on. But there will be an exam that if you do fail, it is the end of the world. There will be the end of the world. For you. <laughs> and for you. <laughs> and so, uh, and I thought, wow, that just hit me in the face. You know, it was like, mm. that's so true. I mean, we are going to all face, all humans, all religions. It doesn't matter who you are. We're going to face this final exam. And it is our, the end of the world for, for us. So we want to make sure we pass that exam. That's the one that does mm. count. And so I thought, what a way to set the tone mm. for, for the, and it just got me hooked to read through this. So. Um, what, yeah, th thank you for, for that. But tell us about then, I guess, I guess what inspired um, that opening. But then let's look about the structure of this book because it's about there's 10 mm. chapters. Um, uh, is it 10 or 11? 10, 10 chapters? Uh, no, 13. 13 chapters. Mm -hmm. um, and the final chapter is called The Final Exam. Yeah. Um, and we lead up to that. But you do go through natural law. You go through a whole bunch of things. But uh, let's talk about the structure, the structure as it was similar yeah. to that. The structure is dictated by every treatise on moral theology, including the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is you divide moral life into two main sections. Mm. Moral life in general, and that is r the role of conscience, the objective character of morality, or the, somehow the, the character of morality, the role of virtues which help us to live a good life. Yes 
the role of the emotions, which can be very good or they can be hindering us if we get angry or, or whatever. Uh, the value of temptations. We have temptations. How do they fit into our yes. moral life? The, um, the types of sins, some sins are more serious than others, and we can call them sins. We can call them offenses when we do the wrong thing. Other religions might not use the word sin, although I think it's a fairly commonly used word. And then I thought, let's include a chapter on suffering, because suffering and how we face it has a great bearing on our final judgment. And I had given a paper in um, bioethics seminar that I was organizing when I was in Hobart as chaplain of the university. I had four seminars before I left that university to go to Melbourne. And I had one which was entitled The Sanctity of Life or it was on life with the background of euthanasia. Mm. And I gave a paper in it myself called The, the Christian Meaning of Suffering. Mm. So I used that in the main, had to rewrite it and leave out a lot. The talk was a lot longer than the chapter here, but I think it's a very useful topic for many people because we all suffer, whether it's yes. the headache or the sleepless night, whether it's the cancer, whether it's the death of someone near us, we all suffer. And some people complain, get angry with God. There can't be a God who will allow me to suffer like this. And other people accept it, find the blessings. And the chapter has seven blessings of suffering. And I, I explained in the, in the launch of this book that the first book, Dying to Live, was dedicated to a girl <coughs> who, I guess, moved every time I think of Ellie Egan yes. <laughs> because she, she died of cancer at the age of 20, having been diagnosed at 15. And I dedicated the book to her because I said she, she believed in life after death she looked forward to it with great eagerness, and she died on the day I finished writing that book, literally. Uh -huh. I was going to wow. finish the writing the book, got word that Ellie had died, and I went to visit her family. But then, in the chapter on suffering, there's a whole paragraph on Ellie. Yes. And her, one of the blessings of suffering is it often leads us closer to God. Sometimes it leads people totally away from God. But if we know how to accept it, that it's part of God's plan for our life. There's suffering for everybody, an effect of original sin. Then it often leads us closer to God, and that was the case in Ellie's family, for Ellie herself, for her whole family. So anyway, there's something in the chapter on suffering yes. there. So yeah, the first part of the book then is moral life in general. Then you get to the specific moral issues. And that can be based either, as St. Thomas Aquinas does in the Summa, on virtues. For, personally, I think it's neater to use the Ten Commandments. The Catechism mm -hmm. does. Different moral um, theology books will follow perhaps the virtues. But I thought the, the commandments are an easy uh, way to uh, introduce and and construct the, uh, the moral life with particular issues. So that's the basis, that's the, the structure of the book. Yeah, and then the final chapter is, uh, is the final exam itself. What can we expect in the judgment? So there's various issues there. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. <clears throat> uh, and I love um, how, yeah, within each chapter, it's broken right down. And so it's very easy. So it's, it, it, it's easy to, to just get through a section and then you can reflect on that, what you've mm. just written. 
Um, and, and as you said earlier, it is, it is for a non-Catholic. So it's a great book to give to someone who doesn't even believe in God, let alone have yeah. a religion. Um, and so it, just, it starts in those first few chapters about how to be a good person um, um, and how do you know what's right and wrong? How do you know what's good and exactly. evil? And there were great questions early on in the, in the book. Um, how can we discuss this? So natural law, let's just, let's just lay the foundations here. So you're saying natural law is something that all humans will agree to? Is it what is natural uh. law <laughs> when we refer to that? It's not a capitalist. I, I think they won't all agree to all of the precepts of the natural law. However, we start from human nature, which we all have. Yes. And if somebody says, Well, what do you mean by human nature? I say, books have book nature. And they can be big books, smaller books. Huh shorter books, longer, whatever, yes. but a book is a book. Tables have table nature. Dogs have dog nature. There's different breeds of dogs, but dogs have dog nature, and cats have cat nature, and, and trees have tree nature, planets have planet nature, and humans have human nature. So it makes us human. We all have human nature. We have an intellect, we have a free will, we have a body, we have the senses, we all have human nature. And just as there are natural physical laws for physical nature, like the law of gravity, and it applies to all physical beings, they attract one another in varying degrees, depending on size and distance apart. So if you drop that mug from the table, it's going to fall. It's not going to go up, it's not going to float, it's going to go down yes. because we're on planet Earth and there's a certain force of gravity. You cannot dispense somebody from the law of gravity. It is a part of physical nature and the laws of chemistry and physics are there written in nature. There are moral laws written in human nature. There are certain forms of conduct that are going to harm the individual and often harm the interaction of individuals in society. Harm the, for example, if we tell lies, we habitually tell lies, then nobody can trust us. Mm. And if you couldn't trust the bank to keep your money and pay you the interest, minuscule as it might be, then you wouldn't take your money to the bank. We couldn't function. We couldn't agree to marry because people would say, well, I don't know if you're lying or not. I, I can't marry you. Mm. It just doesn't work. And this applies to all the precepts of the natural law, of moral law. Unless we follow them, we are not going to have the flourishing of, of human beings and the flourishing of society. So there are certain forms of conduct that are just wrong and other ones are good and they apply to everybody. And when we study the natural law, then it is the, 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 the clear idea that the natural law applies to everybody. Mm. No one is excused from it. You can't dispense somebody from the natural law. And in that chapter, there are numerous quotations from pre-Christian philosophers, especially Cicero, Aristotle, you have the Greek playwrights like Sophocles, they all believed in the natural law. <laughs> they believed in the natural law and they called it the law of nature. Yeah. So it's, this isn't a Christian idea. It is, it's human nature and when a philosopher 
um, delves into human nature and ponders it in his, in his thinking, he's going to end up with some moral principles, which are the natural law. What is more, when you think of it, all countries have laws that reflect the natural law. Yes. It just applies the natural law to that given country. So they have laws about killing. They have laws about stealing. They have laws about marriage and laws about perjury and whatnot. So um, you, you see the, the universality of the natural law in the laws of countries. Yeah, mm. that's true. Very true. <clears throat> so that, that's a, it's a great opening because uh, yeah, you spend time there uh, get, getting to that, uh, that foundation for that we all need to know that we all want to live a good life. We have to define what, is, what it is mm. to be a good life. And natural law helps us at least get to the, that, uh, that level of, okay, we can distinguish things, activities that um, can benefit us or, or activities that are mm. going to harm people and it's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, now, you do then dive into, uh, into the moral life and then you start on, we, we talk about... Um, Habits. Uh, you talk about um, vices and virtues, and and you and you you spend a bit of time on, I guess, the four cardinal virtues. And could we talk about? And you didn't call them that, but you you mm. you, you did unpack some of those. What are they? And we, we sort of move into now. So morally speaking, what on a natural level, what sort of can we all agree on as humans? Yeah. <laughs> um, on on that. No, on virtues. You mean? Yes. 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 Well. A virtue has a definition, and I often, when I'm teaching this, I'll tell people, we have good habits and bad habits. A virtue is a habit. It's a good habit. And there's a name for bad habits, and these are vices. Mm -hmm. And if you develop bad habits, like you're too lazy and you can't get out of bed, if you eat too much and you get overweight and your health suffers, if you are it's exceedingly arrogant, then you're not going to have any friends because you're always full of yourself. And you can go through the, the various vices and see how they harm the individual. Whereas developing virtues of self-control, for example, getting out of bed on time, controlling our eating, and we call that the virtue of temperance. And if you develop virtues, these are good habits that facilitate the doing of something that is good. So they're very important in the moral life that we develop virtues and we have to work on them. We don't naturally have virtues. We have to control ourselves when we're eating that we don't eat too much and we have to use our time well during the day. We don't waste time spending hours and hours on the internet, which some people do, or watching television. And so um, the four cardinal virtues are ones that are already there in the Old Testament the philosophers talked about them too. Prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. They, they relate to various important aspects of human life, of choosing what is right in the case of, of prudence, of, of willpower in the case of fortitude, the willpower to do the difficult thing, mm. like getting out of bed and, and continuing with our work when we're getting tired, but we really have to finish this job the difficult good of raising a family and spending time with the children, spending time with our wife when we're exhausted, fortitude. Um, temperance is self-control in, in the pleasurable good. So we might tend to watch too much television, to drink too much alcohol, eat too much food, eat too much chocolate after, mm -hmm. uh, after Lent is finished when we gave it up. And I keep hearing people say, I, I ate too much chocolate yeah. in the <laughs> Easter season. 
prudence, justice, and justice is to give each one his due. We've got to give to people their due and give to God his due. So they're fundamental cardinal virtues. The word cardinal comes, of course, from the word for hinge in Latin, mm. cardinal. So virtues are important, and we have to avoid the vices. And in, in the moral life of an individual, it's a constant ebb and flow between growth in the virtue and then perhaps we're lessening in it and the vice is growing. And so we have to struggle to grow in the virtues and lessen the vices, but the vices will always be there challenging us too. Take pride, for example, which is a lack of truth, probably a lack of justice, where it exactly fits into the cardinal virtues. They're all related to the cardinal yeah, virtues. Yeah. But <clears throat> But pride is always there. It, it's in all of us in varying degrees. And as they say, um, pride will die 24 hours after we do. Or St. Josemaria <laughs> had a great uh, reflection on pride. And he said, the best business in the world would be to buy people for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. And I was preaching three retreats in the last month. And I brought that up in every retreat. And I, I, I get the, the participant in the retreat to reflect, okay, if, if the best business is to buy us, buy me for what I'm worth and sell me for what I think I'm worth, what's the markup for the buyer? <laughs> um, is it 100%? Is it 50%? Is it 200%? Anyway, yeah. Yes. Very interesting. It's important uh, because it is, it is what distinguishes um, continual good behavior. Um, so these habits... And you, you said them. If they become a vice, that, then you know that can lead to certain addictions. It learns, leads to a whole range yep. of problems. Then, then how do you, for for many of us around, you know, and, and thanks as things are getting easier as far as technology is concerned, it's making life actually harder in the sense of um, the struggle, or, or or harder in the sense of living a virtuous life if you're stuck in this. Um, uh, in these vices, and so we sort of become addicted to technology, phones, Absolutely. food. How do you suggest, do you tackle uh, with concepts or ideas of how to then sort of come out of those, because to, to, we want to get them to, so they become virtues, and then it becomes easier to live mm. a good life because they become part of your habitual life. But how do we get there if we're stuck all the way on the other end of the spectrum in some cases, in many cases, especially yeah. hitting the snooze button or <laughs> other, other areas in our life? Well, my role as a spiritual director for lots of people is helping them, just giving them some pointers. How would you grow in this virtue? Mm. How would you give up some aspects of eating too much or being lazy and whatever. So spiritual direction is one way of doing it. Yes. Books on the vices and the virtues. And mind you, we should not oppose, well, obviously, uh, notionally, a vice and a virtue are just the opposite. But in any one individual, they're both there. And it's just that, that constant ebb and flow of trying to grow in the virtue, to lessen the vice, or we give up and then the vice takes over. And the vice takes over. And when yeah. you have the addiction, it's, it's pretty much out of control. So we just have to struggle. And a, a, a spiritual guide, a spiritual um, a director can be a help for individuals. Books can be a help. Their own experience can be a help. They get to the end of the line with their alcohol. They, they're just out of control. And they wake up and they say, 
I've got to get help. Mm. How often have you talked with an alcoholic who says, I don't have a problem. I can give this up anytime I want. Yes, I drink six beers after when I get home from work. I need that. And, but they're becoming an alcoholic, and yeah. it has all sorts of effects on their family life, on their work, on their, their health. Yeah, yeah, very mm. good. So, so <coughs> sort of a, a, with spiritual direction and with honing in on, would you, you, you start with maybe one, one um, vice at a time uh, and work on that and, and try to overcome that. And then, you know, you're always going to struggle, but, but is it sort of, you know, do you suggest those in addiction? Do they give up things cold turkey or is it like a gradual grind over time, reducing something, uh, a vice, and then hopefully becomes a virtue by, by, by um, you know, overcoming it day by day. Um, you know, so you, do, you, do you recommend one thing at a time or is it multiple things? Is it different for everyone? <laughs> it's different for everyone. Yeah. And I've had many people that have tried to help, not that they were sunk in a, a gross addiction, mm. but some people have been. And, and I asked them, do you think you could go cold turkey on your smoking, yeah. on, your, um, on your alcohol, on your gambling? Mm. And, and some people will say, you've got to. There's no other way. You can't gradually lessen it. You've just got to yes. bite the bullet and do that. And I've known people that gave up smoking just overnight. And um, <laughs> I was talking with a heroin addict on a tram in Melbourne once. Just... He was coming down the street. The tram was late, and God wanted it to be late so I could engage him. <laughs> and he was coming along in his late 30s, looked a bit disheveled. And then he asked me, are you a priest? Yes. Catholic priest? Yes. Do you hear confessions? Yes. And then he said, and I said, well, they would hear confessions in this church. There was a church right across the street from the oh. tram stop. Anyway, we go into Melbourne on this tram for about 20 minutes. And he was a heroin addict and explained his heroin addiction. And then amongst the questions that he brought up were, how do you get off it? Well, you go to a rehab, but they're, they're difficult to get into and they take a long time and, and um, they cost some money as well, possibly. Anyway, then I asked him, but what do people do when they go to jail and they have to give up heroin? They have to give up the drugs. <laughs> he laughed and he said, it's easier to get it in there than it is out here. Wow. So anyway, then anyway, the, that story ended well because he accompanied me to the place where I was going, got off the tram where I did, went up to the first floor where I did it with MR, RMIT, uh-huh. uh, one of the faculties in, in Brick Street in the city, and then he asked me for some money. And then my, my thought process was, this man is sick. If he doesn't get his medicine, he explained, I says, I have splitting headaches and this tremendous craving. Yes. So he needed the medicine of heroin to, get, to overcome his, his sickness. So I gave him some money. And then he said, where did you say you hear confessions? And I said, in, in St. Augustine, just at the end of Brook Street, Friday from 1 to 2, probably whatever time it was, it was lunchtime. Yes. So anyway, so I got everybody to pray for Michael. That was his name. And then I go to confessions at, at St. Augustine's on Friday, and the time is passing, and I go out, at, at, and he hasn't come. Two, at two o'clock, I go out, and he's sitting right outside, and he says, aren't you going to hear my confession? So he went to confession. So that Fantastic. was nice. And wow. then he said, and I've discovered there's a, a rehab course at St. Vincent's Hospital, which the tram passed on the way from Fitzroy into the city, and he said they wanted me to ring 
twice, I mean, again today, mm -hmm. to get into the course, which was starting maybe the next week or whatever. So maybe the story ended well for Michael as a result of, of a conversation about heroin on a tram with a Catholic priest dressed like a priest, of <laughs> course, so he knew he was a priest. So God has his ways of, of dealing with people, but in general with vices, most people can do it gradually, mm. but some need to do it more radically, and each one is different. Yeah, yeah okay. Thank you for that. Uh, you don't really uh, um, dive into confession in a big way, but you do touch, mention the idea of confessing. Uh, can we just, just while we mentioned confession, um, natural, so that we, we understand, and you've dealt with it in Journey to Truth, and, and people can look at that and on, mm -hmm. on the sacraments, the grace side of things. But yeah. on the natural side of things, just... Are there um, benefits, there are natural benefits even with confessing in general, but Absolutely. confession, the power of that, uh, can we just touch on that on the, from a natural perspective? Yeah, from a natural perspective, one of the things I often relate to people is the relationship between spiritual direction and a life coach. Mm. A life coach is a fairly recent phenomenon, at least in my experience. But I was, when I was in Melbourne, there was a friend that had a life coach. And this is, it's not confession. It is just a human way of getting help by confiding in somebody about your marriage, about your health, about your job and your maybe your job family balance. And you pay a lot of money to a life coach to get some help. And you have to open up to the coach about how what, what your issues are, why mm -hmm. do you want some help? So that is the, the human equivalent of, of um, confession and spiritual direction. And interestingly enough too, the ABC, and I can't remember which program it was, but they were doing a program on confession. And wow. it looked at different forms of confession. In the Catholic Church there were two priests, I was one, and another priest from, from the city, and they had other forms of confession. And one of the forms was very interesting. I think it was a young man in Newtown, which is a city, it was a bit of sin around Newtown, it's not a, a very wealthy suburb, and he would, he had a big sign, which was uh, more, I can't remember what the sign said, but he just, was available for people to open up to him. Maybe someone wow. is struggling with his marriage, struggling with his alcohol, struggling with anything. He could come to this person and just open up and the person might give him some advice, but at least listen. So this is a very secular form of making oneself available for people who need to open up. Mm -hmm. And taxi drivers, hairdressers, there's a number of jobs <laughs> where people just open up to this stranger. So yeah. there's a deep-seated human need to share our experiences, whether it's the good ones or the bad ones. So confession for Catholics and some other Christians is the way we do that. And for a Hindu or a Buddhist, they're going to do it with, with somebody. They're going to open up to their mates at, at work or wherever. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's important. It's, 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 it's important. It's important. As we, you did touch on emotion in the book. Uh, you, so, can you just a word on that? What, what, why did you? You have a section touching on emotion, yeah. um, and so sometimes there can be mis, misconceptions here. So, some 
some would say, you know, it, it is about your feelings and how you feel, and, and, that's, and that, that helps you live a good or a moral life. But others would, would go, no, it's, it's absolutely not about the uh, emotions. You do talk about the value of emotions. Can you tell us, yeah, what is a healthy balance there of, of how, do we, how do we treat emotions? And, and yeah. what okay. a comment on that? Yeah, so what are emotions? There are, there are these feelings that we have that are built into human nature by God. Mm. There are love. There's the positive ones like love and, and hope and joy. There are negative ones like anger and hatred and aversion from evil. And they're all good. All the emotions are part of our nature. God gave us emotions. They are all good. And now somebody will say, but Father, don't tell me anger is good because I get angry and it, it causes havoc in my family. Anger is good. We should feel anger when we see evil. When we see, a, 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 let's say, a mother smacking her child too strongly and the child is wailing and the mother is out of control. We should get angry when we see that. We should get angry when we hear on the news of another robbery, of another bombing, of another mass killing. We should get angry, feel angry. How about hatred? Well, we should hate sin. We should, there's certain things we should hate. Not the sinner, but we should hate sin. Mm -hmm. And then other ones are good. We all have them. And depending on how we use them, they can be very, very valuable in the spiritual life. Take the emotion of, let's not say hatred, but anger, dislike for a person. And this person is in your life. This person might be in your immediate family. Yes. It might be somebody at work. And you have to deal with this person on a daily basis. And you strongly find this person difficult. You dislike them. Now, if you then give in to the dislike and you're insulting them and saying bad things to them or about them, you're sinning. You are lessening your human nature. Whereas if you take that person and say, and St. Jose Maria, the founder of Opus Dei, has a point in, in I think it's in his book, The Way, don't say, that person gets on my nerves. <laughs> say, that person sanctifies me. <laughs> okay, so I've got somebody that's difficult. Or a situation, my job, my health, mm -hmm. it's difficult. And I say, well, I've got to deal with this. I just have to accept it. I have to do the best under these circumstances. I have to show kindness to that person whom I strongly dislike. I have to treat them civilly, show them every kindness, just the normal kindness that I would show to anyone. Yes. There's tremendous virtue in that. We're growing in that virtue of love and we're, we're storing up treasure in heaven. There's great merit in going against the grain of a negative emotion to show a positive reaction to it or simply to hold back our anger and not express it in a loss of temper. There is great merit. This is all part of our spiritual growth, storing up treasure in heaven so that when we get to the final exam, which is the judgment, yes. God can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yes. Emotions can be very helpful. And taking emotions like, like joy and love, then in our prayer, if we can be moved to love for God, well, it helps us to love God, reading about our Lord in the Gospels or whatever. Yes. So they help us. Sometimes we have to battle against them, but that's got merit too. 
Yeah, fantastic. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> you then, as you say, that, that sort of, as we're coming up to sort of halfway in the book, the second half is the other Ten Commandments. You group the commandments. And so right away you jump into, okay, the first one, which is about um, putting God first. But you mm -hmm. group the first three, the yeah. commandments about God. Um, so for an atheist uh, reading this, because I could easily read up until this point, and now you introduce the concept of God. So what, how, how was that dealt with and how would an atheist take that chapter? Um, because I guess it's our, from a natural law perspective, we, we believe there is a God. Can you just explain what, yeah. Yeah, what the idea there? Well, first of all, we go back to the first book, and I often refer back to Dying to Live. Yes. There's a whole chapter on the existence of God based on scientific findings of the 20th century on the universe. Mm. So that plus other evidence tells us that there is a God. And another argument for God, which I can't remember what I put in the final exam, is every civilization that there has ever been has had a belief in some form of supreme being. Mm. Take the Australian Aboriginals. A Palatine priest in the 19th century, living in the Kimberley in Western Australia, wrote a book on Aboriginal religion. Now, the different groups of the Aboriginals would have maybe slightly different ideas about the God, but he wrote a whole book on Aboriginal religion. Yes. And so, this is a, a society that's been around for a long, long time in this yeah. country, probably 60,000 yeah. years. They were, the, they were the first Australians were the Aborigines. And mind you, I think they came from outside too. But um, they were here long before we were. And they have a belief in religion. The Greeks, the, the Chinese, the Confucians, every civilization, some form of religion. So we start from that and then we say, if we do then believe in God, which most well, civilizations do, the number of atheists is growing, at least in the Western world. <clears throat> so, but they're still a minority. Yeah. And, yeah. But most people believe in some form of God. And again, a God that might be associated with, like the Greeks and the Romans, a plethora of women, female and male gods and goddesses, for as St. Augustine ridicules them and in the city of God, he says, there's a, there's a God you invoke when you plant the seeds. There's a God you invoke when the seed is growing. There's a God you invoke when the seed appears above the ground as a little plant. And there's a God of the harvest. And so, I mean, okay, but they believed in some sort of gods and goddesses who somehow governed human nature. Then there's yes. people who believe in God. There must be some being out there that controls whether it rains or not, because I'm planting my crops and I want it to rain a little bit, but not too much. Mm. And, but belief in God is, is universal. So we start from that and then we should worship this God. What people do, they have a religion, different forms of worship, often involving sacrifice, human sacrifices for the Aztecs and some others. So we, we start from just basic knowledge of different civilizations in nature and people do worship God. So you mm. can base all of the commandments on the natural law and show they, they, they do make sense. People uh, are living these and then the atheist, if he's open-minded enough to accept that there might be a God, then at least should it strive to live a good life. At least atheists are going to try to live a good life too. Yeah. So yes. they don't get caught by the law or they, have a, they keep their <laughs> marriage together. Yeah. Well, um, just uh, I guess then collectively on the other on the, on the other commandments, um, I mean what, some of them and it is natural law, but some of them sound, you know, like 
quite obvious. Okay, so honour your father and mother. Don't kill, yeah. don't steal. Um, uh, so wh why um, we sort of, it is commonplace. People might agree that, that yeah, that, that makes sense. We shouldn't be yeah. doing these things. But uh, where do you take it in, in the book? Um, what can people expect? So what more could you be saying about it? Don't kill. But then you're unpacking it for today's world. Some people might think, oh, yeah, I keep all those commandments. That's easy. But where do you take them? What can anyone expect by reading these chapters? Because each chapter is dedicated to a commandment yeah. after, after the three. Um, and then you have the adultery and covet um, mm -hmm. ones. Could you talk about how you deal with the commandments for, I guess, the non-believer? Yeah. Well, so many people will say, I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anyone. Mm. So the only commandment that they've got to worry about in the fifth is murdering somebody, killing an innocent mm. person, which is always wrong. But then there is abortion. That's killing someone too. Yeah. And when a woman says, I have a right to do with my body what I want, I say, I couldn't agree more. But that's not your body. Mm. That is another growing individual. And in half the cases, that little growing individual in your, in your womb is a boy, and, and you're a woman. And, and so we, and then in, that, in, in, in the fifth commandment, I deal with abortion. Of course, you've got to deal with that. And, and I have a brilliant quote there from Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mm. It's, it's she, she is wisdom incarnate in, in the most simple and natural ways of explaining things. And I, I, I wrote an article on Mother Teresa when she was being beatified or canonized, and I, I sent it to, the, to the, the, the missioners of charity here in Sydney. And I had a quote supposedly from her, which was called, do it anyway. Like, you, you may do lots of good and people criticize you for it, but do it anyway. And they mm -hmm. said, that wouldn't be Mother Teresa. She wouldn't have said that. That's too structured. She didn't think that way. She never wrote down any notes. She just talked from the heart. So this is an address to 4,000 people in a, in a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C., yeah. before President Bill Clinton and his wife, Hillary, who would not have been on the same side of the <laughs> abortion issue as Mother Teresa. And she's just talking from the heart. It's the, it's the greatest threat to world peace. And, and, and she says, if, if, if we allow a mother to kill the baby in her womb, how can we tell people not to kill one another? Yeah. I mean, it's just common sense. So th there's that. And then I dealt with contraception in, in, in the Sixth Commandment. And contraception is an issue where a lot of people are going to part company with you. Mm. You asked earlier, does everybody accept the natural law? I would say in the basic tenets of the natural law, there's a common acceptance by most people. But when you get to specific issues like contraception, yes. people are going to say, no, I'm, I'm parting company with you on that. We, we've got to use contraception. We've got to limit the size of my family or the world population. The world's population actually is, has got an issue. Just read yesterday an article in Japan's population shrank by 500,000, shrank, the whole population shrank by 500,000 in one year. And, wow. and they're facing an issue. Anyway, but for my family, people say I need contraception. But it, it goes against the very purpose of, of sexuality and sex, the sexual act and, and marriage and love. And so there I quote John Paul II, who argues that 
if you use contraception, that's not love. Love is a total self-giving. It is not holding back on anything. True love is a total self-giving. Until death there was part, giving the whole of yourself. But when you withhold your, your fertility, you are, you are not loving. And when I teach this, I have sometimes said, I wouldn't put this in writing, but if a man goes to have sex with a prostitute, he's having sex, but that's not love. That's just the pleasure of the act. He doesn't know who this woman is. Is she married? Is she single? Um, she's obviously using some form of contraception, and he will be using some form of contraception too. But he's having sex, but that's not love. If he goes home and he puts on a condom and he has relationship with his wife, that's sex, but that's not love. Mm. Wow. Uh, there's a whole topic there. I mean, you could spend... <laughs> there's yeah, lots of so topics much. in that book. But, wow. It, it's amazing. You, uh, you are um, addressing so many. Um, we'll, we'll come to finally to chapter 13, the final exam. And so yeah. we come to where you started, uh, where uh, there will be that exam that is the end of the world for you. Um, what can we expect in that very last um, chapter? And it's not a long one, but, but what, what yeah. do you address in that chapter? There's some very important topics there, but one of them which I have emphasized more just in recent months in, in the book launches is when we take an exam, we prepare for it, mm -hmm. and then we have to write the exam on a given day, and that's what's going to be marked. And this is exams about theory, about knowledge. We have to show that we knew the subject. That's a theoretical exam, and we take it on the appointed day. The final exam of life is not a theoretical exam. God is not going to ask us, what are the Ten Commandments? <laughs> <laughs> but how did you live the Ten Commandments? Yes. Or what are the Eight Beatitudes? But how did you live the Beatitudes, it's a practical exam, as is the exam, for example, to drive a car, you must pass it to get a license. It's a practical exam. The exam to pass to become a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician or, or a nurse or a doctor, the practical exam. You have to show that you understand and, and can do this. So the exam, on, on, the exam on life is a practical exam. And we don't take it the moment we die. We are taking it now. From the moment we acquired the use of reason at the age of six or seven, we have been doing things, some of which were right, some of which were wrong, and we had to repent, and we have to make up for our sins. But we are taking the exam every day, every moment of our life, and it is on that that God is going to judge us. And mind you, in order to get to heaven, which is very clear in that first book, Dying to Live, and in this one, you can commit every sin in the book. You can commit sins throughout the whole of your life. But if you are repentant in the last moment, you are not going to go to hell. You're going to pass the exam in the sense of going to heaven via purification, as the Catechism puts it, for purgatory or immediate entry into heaven. So. We're taking the exam now. It's a practical exam, mm -hmm. and it's on, on how we lived our life. But as someone once pointed out, I think in one of the book launches, could you say that that book, that's the textbook 
for the exam. You have a textbook on physics, you have a textbook on whatever, and this is the textbook to pass the exam. This is yes. going to show you how to do this, th this life, so that you can pass. Then another extremely important point in the final chapter is, based on the parable of the talents, God is going to judge each person differently. Yes. He's going to judge me as a priest differently from you. God has given me my priesthood, my formation, and my pastoral activity. He's going to judge me on how I live that. You are going to be judged on your marriage and, and your family and your, and your work here in Perusia. So, and then some people within the same state of life have been given far more graces. A Catholic like you has been given far more than a pagan, than many people who, who don't have the faith the virtues, the, the formation that you have. So each one of us will be judged differently, and that's a consolation. Yes. Because a person that was given very little, somebody asked me a question just recently that bears on this. Father, what happens if you grew up, and somebody explained that this still exists in some places, in a, in a society where they practice cannibalism? Now that's totally against the natural law, to kill somebody. But maybe they're killing just their enemies and they're eating their enemies. But to, to do that is, is abhorrent. But if you grew up in a society where that was what they did and that's what you thought was right, God's going to judge you in accordance with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So we're all going to be judged differently and there's, there's hope for everybody. God is, is merciful. He's just, but he's merciful too. So we don't have to fear the final exam, but provided we try to live well, and that's, this book will help many people to live better. And by the way, it's the sequel to the other one, but it's also a standalone book on, yes. on morals based on the natural law. I'm not aware of any other book that's totally based on the natural law. They're all based yeah, on the Bible. Very interesting, and, yes. But that one, that one isn't, it, it can be read by anybody of any religion. Wow, fantastic. Mm. Well, congratulations on, on how, how you turn this around. Um, in such a, a short amount of time, but it, here it is, it's now out, and mm. it has been moving well, and people are being getting it. It's, it's, it's such a great read, even teenagers reading this. Mm. Um, it's not just for adults, it, it, it's for all ages, really, that could read this. Um, I noticed you know, Dr. Scott Hahn, a good friend of uh, Perusia, is, has endorsed this uh, book as mm. well, and you've got um, uh, Dr. Tobin and, and, and many others from political backgrounds, from scientific backgrounds and, and professors. Mm. So. It really is for anyone, this book, um, to read it. Just, just as we close, just a final thought. Um, what, what would you like to see? You, you purposely wrote this so anyone could read it. It's not just for Catholics. In fact, you had the non-Catholic in mind. Um, however, Catholics are encouraged to <laughs> right, get this. But, I mean, what would you like to see? What, what would be any final comments about, about this for as we close? Well, I would hope many people would read it. Yeah. It's short short chapters, easy language, and I would just hope many people would read it because I think many Catholics are going to learn a lot mm. from this book, things that they never heard before, but they're going to learn them and say, oh, is that the case? Okay, well, that's good. I can then maybe change my behavior or at least understand how emotions can be good, how we can use yes. negative emotions to grow in holiness. And yes. so. I just hope many people will read it and read it with an open mind 
and, and be led to, to live a better life so that they can pass the final exam and we can all be together in heaven. And I think the last, let me just yes, take please. the book in the last, the last line that I wrote, which is similar to what I put in Dying <laughs> to Live. Um, yeah, so of course, the more we love God, the more we will love those around us, both the nice people and those we find difficult and so on. And then I ask your prayers for me that I may be able to give an account of all the gifts God has given me so I may meet you there in heaven. So I'll get Fantastic. people to pray for, for me too <laughs> because the account that I have to give to God is enormous. <laughs> wow, wow. Thank you very much. Well, <laughs> you can be assured of that. I'll be praying personally and, and everyone at Parisia and I hope uh, those watching and listening uh, will be praying for you and for all priests and for, and for our world. Um, yes. Ultimately, what is life about? Uh, Yes, to be happy in this world, but it's ultimately, ultimately about passing this exam <laughs> so we can be free forever and eternally. And, yes. and really, that's nothing else matters. I mean, oh, that's man. it. The gold is there. So thank you. This yeah. is the final exam, preparing for judgment. Um, wow. Uh, it's a great read. I highly encourage everyone, grab a copy today. It's at, uh, on our website, parousiamedia.com, available right now. Um, there also is the first book, which again, they stand alone, but they also can connect, but Dying to Live, Reflections of Life After Death. So I recommend both, but this one uh, is out now. It's brand new and uh, please do yourself a favor, grab one. Great for your kids as well. So read this. Thank you, Father Flutter. We hope to have you on again soon and maybe question time six <laughs> around the corner we talk about. Um, and, and God bless you. Keep going. Don't stop. And, hmm. uh, and, and please know of our prayers and please continue to pray for us as well. Well, thank you very much for having me, Shaville. And hopefully the message gets out to a few more people than just the two of us. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone. That's another show. That's another Perusia podcast. Uh, please do yourself a favor, get a copy uh, today. Um, and, 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 and let us know about the feedback about these shows, the podcasts. We have a guest on every single week and we talk about resources, about their faith journey, about topics like this one. Um, and so please subscribe to our YouTube channel, spread the word. We want as many people getting access to these free resources as possible. And, and then those who want to purchase things to, to support the ministry as well, uh, is much welcome. So thanks again. That's another Prusia podcast. I'm Shabba Race. Until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm.